Thank you for that. Appreciate that. What a great truth in that song that we can always go to God. And uh, that's exactly what I was preaching this morning. And uh, we can always go to the throne room of God. He understands us so much better than anyone else can. So praise the Lord for that. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up to Revelation chapter number three. And uh, we have, uh, I think, two more, three more churches left here. And I hope and pray that these have been a help to you. I, I don't know about you, but I have enjoyed spending a little bit more time perhaps on these churches as we look at it. And I was really thinking about this as we've been going through the book of Revelation. And, uh, and, and I'm sure what we will speed up uh, after a little bit here. But um, just I think these messages that are to the churches are so relevant to us today for our church. Um, not just specifically our church, but I'm talking all churches. In 2022, these just apply, and, uh, and they're really good. And I hope and pray that they've been a blessing and a help to you. Uh, this evening, we're going to look at the church uh, in, in Revelation chapter number 3, and verse number 1. The Bible says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. What an interesting phrase. We'll look at that. Verse 2, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received, and heard, and hold fast, and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the, seven, unto the churches. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your many blessings. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to gather in your house around your word. God, I pray that you would use me. God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart. Help us as we look into your word, Father, to see the message uh, for our church that you would have tonight. And God, we'll be careful to give you the honor and the glory for all that's said and done. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this this evening, uh, there, there's a great temptation to take the same outline and use it for every one of them. And really, I, I could have done that, but I, I did not uh, because I would have gotten bored, to be honest with you, after night two. And so, uh, so I, I did not take the, the outline, but really the format and the layout of every message is uh, very similar in aspect. And the same thing is true in this one, as we have a few attributes of Jesus that he points out there. And I find them very interesting there. He says this in verse number one, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And as we think about that, we know obviously that the spirit 
uh, would represent life. Uh, the Bible gives us that very clearly. In Ephesians chapter number 2, he talks about the fact that they were dead uh, and that, the, the, that God quickened them. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 1, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And he's talking about how they were dead beforehand. But he goes on, if you were to uh, turn over to Ephesians 2, you'd see it, and he says, but you hath he quickened. And that would be to be made alive. Uh, another verse talks about that in, in Romans 8.10. It says, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of of righteousness. And the Spirit uh, is the one that gives us that spiritual life. He is the one that gives us life. And I find it very interesting because in his message to this church, and we'll talk about it, uh, he gives them that phrase, uh, thou hast a name and thou, art a, thou livest and yet thou art dead. And he's talking about how basically it is a dying church. Uh, now, I, I don't think, I'm not saying that our church can relate to this church as much. Uh, but what I want us to take away is, let's not be that dying church. Let's not go that direction. Let's not land where they were. But this is where they were at. They were a dying church. And so his message and his representation that he gives is that Jesus has the Spirit, the seven spirits, hey, and they represent life. And listen... Jesus, in every one of these attributes that's presented to the church, is the one that meets the needs of that church. That's what we find. And, uh, and listen, we would be an heir to think that any other person could meet the needs of Anchor Baptist Church. The truth of the matter is, Jesus is the one that we need in Anchor Baptist Church. He's the one that will meet our needs. He's the one that, uh, as we saw this morning, is the head of the church and will direct the church. And, and we see it in Matthew that he will build the church. And, and Jesus is the one that is the most important in the church. He's the need meter. We find that through all of these churches. And so he hath the seven spirits of God, and they certainly represent life. Look with me in verse number 1. As he says here, after that, he says, I know thy works. He said that every time. And he says that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. The first thing that I want us to notice about this church is its lifelessness. It's lifelessness. It could, be, uh, it could be life. You really could put life. And then it's lifelessness as well. They go hand in hand. Uh, what am I talking about? Well, you look there what he says. He says that I know thy works, that thou hast a name. Uh, you know, a name would be a reputation. And, uh, and you'll know this to be true. You know, a lot of people, uh, they're able to, or companies rather, 
are able to create uh, some great product and they build this wonderful reputation and you're like, hey, man, you got to get this. That company has got a good reputation. But what goes on over time is they generally, their product tends to degrade and their quality tends to get lower and, and their name uh, is what is carrying that company and eventually they are only riding on a reputation. I'll refrain from using any company names because I don't want to uh, degrade any company or give my opinion, but there's several that I'm thinking of that I'm thinking, man, they built a name and they were really good, but now it's like, man, I don't want to go there. And, uh, and, and there's just things like that. That's the way it is. And that is what he is saying to this church. He says here that thou hast a name. In other words, hey, they have built for themselves a good quality reputation in the life of Christianhood. You know, people watch us and, and people know who we are. And, uh, and listen, if, if, uh, if we talk to people, then they know what church we attend. And they ought to. Listen, we ought to not be ashamed of, of letting people know what church we attend and that we're Christians. And, and we ought to have a reputation in town, but we ought to have a good reputation in town. And I believe we do. I'm not saying we don't. But I'm just saying that this church had built themselves a good reputation. But hold on, because he's about to reprimand them. And he, he gives them the reality there in the next statement. And the reality is this. He says, that thou livest. Now I had to dig out my English grammar and figure all that out. That livest is current, present Tense. Let me break that down for you. That means they are alive currently. They, they are not dead currently. Uh, it is a present action that is taking place. They are alive right now. And, uh, and I found it very interesting because he's saying, listen, you're hanging on to life. There is life within you. It's not just a name and a reputation that you have built for yourself, but the reality is you are still grasping on to life. But then look at the next phrase, and he goes on and he says there in the next phrase, and art dead. Since I had my grammar out, I went ahead and looked that one up too. And you know what? That is present tense as well. That thou art dead. Now isn't that a quandary? So this church is both alive and dead at the same time. And you understand what is going on. He's saying, listen, that they had a good reputation and the people of the community would know them and Sardis saying, oh yeah, that's a good church. But when people would come into the church, they would find a barely living, existing church that really was dying. And that was the concern. He said, thou livest and art dead. I thought of a, an illustration. This might be a graphic illustration, uh, but it's a very Bible illustration in that, that leprosy was a, a Bible uh, and a terrible disease in the Bible. You think about leprosy. Leprosy was basically uh, the skin uh, rotting all the way down to the bone. You know what that is? It means your hand is dying. It would rot, rot right off, and it would fall off. It was a horrible disease. But the guy's alive, but he's dead. 
You know how you function uh, if one hand isn't there or maybe two hands is not there. And I don't, I'm not trying to say anything unkind. I, I'm just trying to illustrate the fact that, hey, th this was a problem in Bible times that the guy would be living, but his flesh would physically be dying on the bone. And he was alive, but he was also dead. And what I'm saying is that, hey, listen, that would be a horrific thing. And basically, the pronouncement that God is putting upon this church here in Sardis is that thou livest. Hey, you've built a great name for yourself. You've built a reputation. That is wonderful. He said, but listen, you are, you're alive currently, but you're also dead. And he's saying, boy, that's a problem. And so you understand how he is, uh, how he's giving that. And, uh, and it's a sad state for the church in Sardis. And of course, we would not want to arrive to that state uh, in our church. Look with me in the next verse, in verse number 2. So we see the, uh, the lifelessness or life that they do have. It really could go either way in verse number 1. But look with me in verse number 2, what he says. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. And so in verse 1, he gives them a pronouncement of, of lifelessness or life, uh, depending on what side you really want to look at. Really, it could be both. But in verse number 2, he tells them, locate the remaining things that are alive in your church. In other words, hey, there are some things. Look at what he says there in the middle of the verse, verse number 2. Uh, the things which remain. In other words, there were some things that were remaining that were alive in that church. And he's telling them, hey, I want you to watch for those things. I want you to find those things that are vibrant, where life exists in that church. And I want you to grab hold of those things because there are some things that remain and they're doing well. And he says, so I want you to locate them. I found that interesting as I thought about those things which remain. And, I, and the Lord brought this verse to mind in John 6, 12. The Bible says, when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. And he was, of course, talking about the bread when the disciples had fed the 5,000 uh, that were sitting uh, there at the, the seaside and, and taken those, those five loaves and two small fishes and fed those 5,000 people. And then he said, gather up the fragments that remain. I always thought that was interesting. And I always thought, what was the purpose? And, and yes, there were 12 baskets. Maybe he sent 12 home with his disciples. Maybe he sent 12 fold back with that boy that had given his five loaves and two small fishes. I don't really know what all the purpose was. There's lots of applications that you could make. But I do know this, that Jesus Christ was concerned with not wasting what was good. And we find the same thing true in this church. He's saying, though you are dead, though there, there are some things that are dying in your church, hey, there are some good things that remain, and you need to find and locate those things. And he says, once you've located those things, look at what he says. Um, he, he, puts a, he, he, he kind of puts a, a kind of a sour note even on that. He says, in the middle of verse number two, that are ready to die. In other words, hey, there's some living things out there, 
But man, you better get to them quick and start giving them uh, some compressions or mouth-to-mouth or do something because they're on the verge of dying as well. And so he's saying, hey, locate those things that are good, that are remaining in the church, that are still alive. And he said, listen, there's some that are going to die out. Unless you find them and unless you get to them, they are going to die. Isn't it interesting? Uh, It's always good to revisit what is the purpose of the church. And uh, I put down here my notes. Evangelize the sinner, educate the saved, exhort the saints, and exalt the Savior. That's the purpose of the church. And so, uh, listen, sometimes we can get so distracted from our mission and, and so sidetracked with doing very good things that are not wrong that sometimes we have to come back and say, hey, what is our purpose? And are we doing these things because we don't want these to die off? Because if those die off, hey, listen, the church is going to die off. And so we have to maintain our focus on those four things. And he's saying, hey, these things, whatever they are that remain in the church of Sardis, are ready to die, and you better find them, and you better breathe a little bit of life into them. Look at what he says there in verse number 2, the very beginning. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. In other words, reinforce Boy, we need to reinforce, reinforce, reinforce what God has called us to do. And so he says uh, in his verse 1, he gives them the pronouncement of lifelessness or that they do have a little bit of life. And, and he tells them in verse number 2 to locate the things that are remaining, that they are doing, and to continue and strengthen those things before they die. I want you to notice in verse number 3, I love this, look at what he says. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. You know what he's saying in verse number 3? He's saying, I want you to look back. This is interesting. Oftentimes uh, we should not look back. And that's very true. There are many things that we should not look back. In Egypt, the nation of Israel was looking back after Egypt and was lusting for those things in Egypt uh, and saying, man, we were better off in the world. No, that's not what he's saying, that we're to look back in that direction. But look at what we are to look back at. He says there in verse number 3, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard. Remember who told you about the Lord. Listen, I grew up in church. I thank God for that. I truly do. I believe that is a blessing from the Lord to have grown up from the nursery all the way up. I never um, lived in the world per se. I, I don't uh, not that I don't know what a lost life is like, uh, but I didn't experience it firsthand uh, as, as much because I got saved at a very young age. And I grew up in church. I thank God for that. But listen, for those of us who did grow up in church, it would benefit us greatly to look back. Okay, I grew up in church. Wonderful. Praise the Lord for that. How did my dad get saved? Well, my dad got saved when he was an eight-year-old boy. Well, how did my grandpa got saved? Well, my grandpa got saved, you know how? Because somebody came by, knocked on his door, and said, hey, do you go to church anywhere? 
And he said, no. And he said, and, and they, they led my grandfather to the Lord. I don't remember exactly, but I do know this. I've heard my dad's testimony enough to know that he said uh, that my grandfather used to drink, used to smoke, and somebody came by and knocked on their door, and my grandfather got saved. And it wasn't long before the cigarettes were gone, the alcohol was gone, and the life was changed. And my dad saw a change that came into that house, and it was changed drastically. And that, that family started going to church. Hey, what I'm saying is, if you've grown up in church, it would do you well to go back and find, hey, where was it that your family changed? And how did it change? Because listen, it's good to know that God saves people. Hey, listen, God does save people. He does change their life. Uh, maybe you heard in church in Sunday school, praise the Lord for those who have brought you to church and taught you in Sunday school. Uh, maybe you heard on the street and praise the Lord for those who would go out on the street and reach people. And our, we must be reminded that our purpose must be to evangelize sinners. And that would be lost people. That would be give them the gospel. That would be share with them. We cannot forget. It does us so good to go back and remember those things that somebody came down through our doors. Maybe they put a gospel track in our door. Maybe it was somebody at work that witnessed to, to, to this person. I remember hearing a testimony years ago. It was a wild testimony. Um, it was just funny the way, the way it all played out in the end. But, uh, but basically, a guy would bring his Bible to work every day. And during his break time, he'd get his Bible out. And he'd sit down and just read his Bible. And years later, uh, a lady got saved uh, from that because she saw that and she, she moved away and, uh, and she knew that the guy was a good Christian. And so she got herself into church and her boy grew up and became a missionary. And went overseas. I ran into him somewhere on deputation or furlough or something, and, and he gave his testimony. And I'm just saying, I, God is still in the life-changing business. Praise the Lord for that. We need to be reaching people. He's saying, remember how thou hast received and heard. But that's not the only thing that we are to remember. Hey, listen, uh, I wrote down several things that we are to remember. Remember how you grew spiritually. Educated and saved. Listen, somebody invest in your life. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a, a bus worker. Maybe it was somebody else that invested and spent time investing in your life. And may we be encouraged to not only and, uh, evangelize the, the sinners, but educate the saved and invest in people. Uh, remember how your life has been challenged. Uh, listen, I remember many a message and sitting there and thinking, oh, Man, I need to work on that in my life. The exhortation of preaching and, and listen, uh, maybe that's something that we need to remember how our life has been challenged uh, through preaching and the Lord uh, just touching our heart. And remember that the Lord is the one that does it. And in the end, hey, we've got to exalt Him. We've got to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ and say, thank you, Lord, for changing my life. He said, look back and remember What's he say to remember? Thou hast received and heard. But what does he say about it? He says, hold fast. In other words, retain that. Don't lose sight of it. 
Don't lose goal of that. In other words, hang on to those fundamental truths of how somebody evangelized and educated and, and taught you and, and, and remember those foundational things because, hey, that's what we've got to hang on to. And so he's saying retain, hold fast those things. Don't get sidetracked by everything else. Listen, it's easy to get sidetracked. Uh, it's easy to get distracted. Uh, it's easy uh, to forget what our mission is. And we have got to remember to keep the main thing the main thing. Look at what he says there in verse number 3. Not only are we to re uh, remember and look back uh, about our reception and how we receive the Gospel and, and retain and hold on to it, but look at what he says there in the middle. He says, and repent. In other words, we've gone over this several times, but it basically means to recognize where we're wrong, and turn to God. And say, God, help me with these things. Help me with my life. Help me with what's lacking. Help me with things that are not right in my life. We need to turn from those things that are sidetracking us. I just jotted down a few things. Worldliness, materialism, uh, prestige or fame, or whatever it is. We need to set it aside and say, you know what? God needs to be the most important thing. We need to get back to God. And then he gives them a recourse. Look at what he says. There's a whole if statement that's fairly large. He says in verse number 3, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. He gives them an ultimatum, really. And he's talking to the church. And, uh, and I'm assuming that that would be a, a, some form of tribulation that may come. I've often heard it preached and often heard it said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that, uh, that God had told the, the church there in Jerusalem to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. He told them to wait until the Holy Spirit would come upon them and endue them with power and then that they would go out and, and we find that the church in Jerusalem did not do that. Well, they did wait. And then they waited and waited and kept waiting and they got so comfortable doing what they were doing on a regular basis, they never did go out and the Lord sent persecution in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. So you can remember that because it's Acts 1.8, He gave them the command. Acts 8.1, they didn't do it, so He sent persecution to the church. And guess what happened? Boy, they were scattered abroad and went throughout all the world doing what? Preaching the gospel. And so maybe the Lord will uh, do something to cause us to become obedient. But He does give them a warning. And He says, listen, if you don't repent, if you don't turn from being sidetracked, and you don't get back on track, hey, there's recourse, and I will come upon you as a thief. Isn't it interesting He uses that phrase? And listen, the idea is a thief, you don't know when a thief's going to show up. I mean, uh, I spent a lot of time in, in Peru, and you know what? You were just always prepared. I mean, you locked your doors everywhere you went. There were, there were I carried key ring. It was, it was lots of keys. It drove me crazy. I tried to reduce it to make it as small as I could. You had the outer door, you had the inner door, and everything in the house had keys. And uh, man, I had a bucket of keys when we moved into a house. They'd, they'd hand you a whole bucket of keys. Every door was locked. Every cupboard was locked. Everything had locks. Every window had locks. And, uh, and so man, I, I'd just take the bucket of keys and put it on the fridge. There's the keys if you need them. 
Go find which one goes to what. I have no idea where any of them go. All I worried about was the front door and uh, the front gate and the front door. Uh, because, man, and those did not leave my side because those doors shut behind you and they locked automatically. There was no unlocking them. And uh, why? Because you don't know when a thief's going to show up. A thief does not make an announcement, hey, I'm going to come by at Friday at 3 o'clock. No, he doesn't tell you that. Matter of fact, he looks to take advantage of you. He looks for a time when you're not expecting it. Listen, uh, God gives the illustration that, hey, He will come at a time when we're not expecting it. And so we are to look back and remember, hey, how it was we got saved. Who it was that, that helped us and, and, uh, and, and who it was that invested in our life. And so He says in verse 1, He gives them the, the life or lifelessness that they have. And in verse 2, he tells them to locate those things that remain. In verse 3, he tells them to look back at the time when they uh, were saved and grew in their life and to remember those things and to get back to where they used to be. In verse 4, he, he gives them this. He says, I love this, in verse 4, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I don't like this L word, but it's all I could come up with. You'll probably, you'll probably get one better than me. I put leftovers. It's not really leftovers. That's a bad word. I, we look at it as down. Th these are remnants that remain. They're faithful people. They're, they're even in a church that was half dead that was told to locate those things that were still remaining and to, uh, to, to strengthen them and fortify them and build them up, that there was still some that lived for the Lord and they were walking with the Lord and they were doing what is right. And he says, hey, listen, uh, there are still some that are there. And, and I love it. He says there, thou hast a few names, even in Sardis. I've pointed this out for at least the last two or three churches that, hey, even in bad circumstances, even in bad situations, bad environments. We saw a couple churches ago that they were, uh, they, were, they were a church that existed in Satan's seat, in Satan's stronghold. And yet God said, hey, live for me. Do what's right. Hey, listen, even in a bad setting, a bad environment, hey, you can still walk with God. I see that over and over. You go all the way back to Noah's life, and the whole world around him was corrupt and, and, uh, and, and perverse. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was walking with God. Noah raised a family for the Lord in a bad environment. Hey, listen, you might think we're in a terrible world, and we are, but listen, you can still walk with God. That's what we find in this verse. He says, Thou hast a few names. What a wonderful thing. Even in Sardis. Hey, walk with the Lord. Look at what he says. I found this phrase extremely interesting. The last phrase, And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I read that and I thought, boy, we don't ever deem ourselves worthy. 
And in our flesh, we're not worthy. I can tell you that. But listen, I, I found some verses. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. Save your spot here in Revelation. I want you to see this verse in Colossians chapter number 1 and verse number 9. I hope that this will be a help and a blessing to you. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter number 1. And verse number 9. The Bible says this. Colossians 1.9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, he's saying, listen, we're praying that you would be filled with knowledge and understanding and spiritual understanding. And listen, that's basically the Word of God. He's saying that your life would be filled with the Word of God and that you would understand it and that you would have understanding and wisdom and knowledge. Go on in verse number 10. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. When our kids went off to college... I told him this, I said, when you go to college, listen, you are a rice. Make sure that you represent the rice name well. I don't want to show up at college, and they're like, oh man, them rice kids. Man, what a mess. You know what, that's, that's our name. I want them to have a good name amongst the, the people that they meet. I want them to bear a, a, good, a, a good name that would look back on us. And listen, we find in this verse that God would desire the same thing from us, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord. In other words, listen, we are children of God. Uh, we have been born again. We have been adopted and placed into the family of God. If you've been saved, if you've been born again, then you are a child of God. And God would say to you, hey, uh, child, don't embarrass me. Walk worthy of being a Christian. Walk worthy of being called a son of God. Walk worthy and make sure that you have a good reputation that when people would look at you, they'd say, man, that's a good guy. I want to be like that guy. I want to be like that person. I want, to, I want something that they have because they're a good person and they're walking worthy of God. How do you get that, Pastor? Well, how do you get to that point? Listen, he tells you right there in verse number 9 that we would fill our lives with spiritual understanding, wisdom, and knowledge. And those things all come from here. Hey, listen, that's, that's what's going to do it. That we would fill ourselves with the Word of God. That's going to change our life. Uh, let's go to another verse. Go with me to, to 1 Thessalonians chapter number uh, 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And look with me in verse number 10. We find almost the exact same phrase. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 10, the Bible says this, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse number 10. It says, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly 
and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. In other words, he's saying there in verses 10 and 11, hey, we lived a godly, holy, just example before your lives. And we charged you as a father would charge his children. In other words, that we would speak to you as a father does to his children. Now, I want you to straighten up. I want you to live right. I want you to have a good life. And I want you to do what God would have you to do so that you have a good name. Go on in verse number, uh, verse number 11. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Verse 12, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. And understand this, that that walking worthy is not so that we can earn our salvation. That is not what it's talking about, but rather because we are saved and we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, that we would walk as a child of God in this world. The world would look at us and say, that guy... It's a good guy. I remember on the mission field, a missionary, a friend of mine, been there for years. And, uh, and a lady, she, I, don't, I can't remember now if she was saved or not, but somebody, she, she, um, she'd say of that guy, that guy is a saint. Like, she just couldn't believe it. Listen, that's what the world ought to think of us. Not that we would be proud, boastful, arrogant uh, walking around with our chef, chest puffed out, kind of like a Pharisee, but that people would just look at us and say, that guy's a Christian. There's just something about him that says he's different. And that we would have a good reputation. We would walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we live a holy example, as he says there in verse number 10, a just example unblameable that we would live right for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's giving this church in Sardis and he says this in verse 1 you're lifeless or you have life but not much. He says locate in verse number 2 those things which remain. He says look back and remember how you heard and how you received uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and hold fast to those things. And then in verse number 4, uh, this would probably be a better put down, live for the Lord. There's those that are still living for the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. Even in the church in Sardis, they were walking uh, right. They were walking correctly. They were living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've mentioned this in every verse, and I'll continue, but it says there in verse number uh, 5, He that overcometh. Go with me to 1 John chapter number 5. 1 John chapter number... I forgot what it was, but I got it right here. 5. Verse number 4. 1 John 5, 4. We find there in, in Revelation 3, it says, 
He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. I believe that's talking about people that are saved. And here's a verse that will help you understand that. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 4. The Bible says, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. And so we find that, hey, listen, the overcomers are those that have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that promise at the end of every one of the, uh, the, the, the messages to the churches. In verse 6, he repeats it every single time. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Hey, listen, we ought to pay attention. It's repeated over and over and over. And God wants to speak to the churches. Hey, we've got to have open ears. We've got to be willing to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ and let Him speak to us. Just four things that we notice. The, the life that they have. The, lo the, the, the demand to locate those things that are remaining. To look back and to live for the Lord as some have done and continue to walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be challenged by this message to the church. I don't think we're that church in Sardis that we're dying. I, I don't think that. But listen, we could always become that if we're not careful. I think every church has a potential of arriving to that point if we don't guard against those things. And if we don't be careful to arrive at that point, we've got to, what can we do? Well, we need to hold on to what we do have. We need to maintain uh, the, the things and the purpose of the church to evangelize the sinners, to educate the saved, and to, uh, to exalt the Savior, and to exhort one another. And those are the things that a church ought to be doing, and we're doing those things. And we need to continue doing those things. That's what God has called us to do. And walk with the Lord. Walk worthy of Him. How? I'll just spend time in His Word. Listen, it's a, th this book, it's not like any other book. Boy, you read this book day in, day out. You ask God to speak to you, and He will. I can promise you. If you're looking for Him, He'll speak to you. He wants to have a relationship. He wants to talk with you. He wants to spend time with you. What a wonderful God we serve that's given us the Word of God. We can spend time with him, with every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. This was a letter to almost a dead church. Boy, I don't want us to arrive at that point. I want us to be a church that's alive, full of vigor, full of life. Not just emotion, not just excitement, but a purpose of evangelizing the lost, educating the saved and exalting the Savior. Father, I pray that You'd help us. God, I pray that You'd maintain our fervor, our zeal. God, that You would increase it. And God, that it would abound and grow and be contagious, that others would catch our fire, our zeal, our excitement in serving You. 
God, I pray that you'd give us a passion for souls. Give us a passion for educating those that are saved, for taking others under our wing and helping them to learn, helping them to grow, helping them to get closer to you. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts. Help us. Strengthen us. God, not that we could boast of ourselves, but ultimately, God, that we could exalt you and say, God has done a marvelous work in this place. Look what God has done. Look how God is blessed. And we'll thank you for that. Father, I thank you for all the things that you have done in our church. God, what a rich history we have. What a great heritage we have in our church. God, I pray that we would maintain that and continue to serve you and to follow you. Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Maybe you just want to pray and ask God to give you that vigor, that zeal, that passion for souls, that passion for helping other Christians. Maybe along the lines we've got discouraged, we've got sidetracked, maybe uh, maybe COVID has, has set us down on the sidelines and we're not as active as we once were. Maybe it's something else, whatever the need. Allow God to speak to your heart. Presenting his name well so that others would look at you and say, Well, I want what he has. I want the compassion, the joy, the peace. We're living for. 